I now have the pleasure of introducing today's moderator who will introduce our distinguished panel. John DeConstanza is Assistant Vice President for Mission and Ministry at Dominican University. He holds a doctorate in ministry from Catholic Theological Union in Chicago with a concentration in Hispanic theology and ministry. In his work at Dominican, he remains very active in advancing Latinx ministries, not only at Dominican, but across the nation, and is currently organizing the El Futuro Is Here conference taking place this summer on the web. More details about that will be posted in the chat shortly. John, I invite you to unmute yourself, turn on your screen, and take it away. Thank you so much, Michael. Good evening, everyone. It is a pleasure to be with you all this evening for what I am sure will be an excellent dialogue on Latino youth and evangelization. I wanna begin by thanking the Lumen Christi Institute, uh, Michael Le Chevalier, Dr. Peter Casarella, and all of my fellow co-sponsors for spreading the word about the critical work that has been done in Hispanic theology and ministry for centuries now in this country. I have been humbly called into this work by relationships of accountability with the students that I serve. My own institution, Dominican University, has been a federally recognized Hispanic-serving institution since 2011. The enrollment of the last three entering classes of Latino self-identifying persons among first-year undergraduate students have ranged from the high 60s to low 70% range. Centering Latino student experiences, sharing in the rhythms of their prayer lives and other aspects of their lived experience, and being involved in their communities, in their families, is the fabric of our experience at DU. We're here tonight because youth and young adult ministry is not merely an investment in the future. It's a moral commitment to accompany and grow together in the present, to be church. In Christus Vivit, the apostolic exhortation released after the 2018 Synod on Youth, youth are named by Pope Francis as the now of God. He notes that, quote, all too often, there's a tendency to provide prepackaged answers and ready-made solutions without allowing young people's real questions to emerge and facing the challenges that they pose. The goal of the scholarship and ministry of our esteemed panelists, Dr. Claudia Herrera Montero and Jose Matos Alfan, is to meet youth and young adults, the now of God, with fresh energy and accompaniment, and in so doing, build on the communal wealth of Latino students. This, in the spirit of Francis's poetic ecclesial framing of youth ministry, is synodal, or journeying together. And so now I'll introduce my two esteemed panelists this evening. Dr. Claudia Herrera Montero is a Catholic practical theologian and educator. She holds an MA in pastoral ministries and a PhD in practical theology from St. Thomas University. She earned a BA in political sciences and a BA in international relations from the Universidad de Nuestra Señora del Rosario in Bogotá, Colombia. Her doctoral dissertation, Understanding Contemporary Practical Latino Theology Through Lenses of College-Aged Latinas in Their 20s, 
a new Marianismo, has expanded her participatory action research on the faith identity, spirituality, and access in Catholic higher education of first-generation college-age Latinas and their families in South Florida. Her latest publications include The Practical Theological Journey of Participatory Action Research, Building the Bridge Between the Classroom and the Field in an Ethic for Bridge Building, and Hispanic Ministry and the Cultivation of Hispanic Identity Among Hispanic Youth. Claudia is a native of Bogota, Colombia, and she and her family currently live in South Florida. Jose Matos Alfant is the Director for Mission at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas, where he fosters the faith formation through university ministry and various Marianist pr programs for students, staff, and faculty. Jose coordinates Messengers of Faith and Hope, an annual summer Hispanic ministry training institute for campus ministers and young adults, and has served as the co-host for the third season of the Catholic Campus Ministry Association's podcast series. He's a delegate of the Quinto Encuentro process for the Archdiocese of San Antonio and represents St. Mary's University in the National Dialogue and La Red de Pastoral Juvenil Hispana. Jose was born and raised in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where he worked on the Pontifical Mission Society's coordinating, coordinating mission awareness programs for youth and young adults. I now invite my fellow panelists to join me in the virtual plaza here. So, buenas noches. Buenas noches. Buenas. <laughs> so, uh, a little earlier, Jose and Claudia, you heard me share that in Christus Vivit, um, Pope Francis calls all youth the now of God. I think this is both descriptive and prescriptive, right? I think Francis is describing that youth are the church right now, which is an implicit call to evangelization. And second, I think that Francis is directing us to deploy time, talent, and treasure to meet the young people where they are. Tell us about Latino youth and young adults in this country and in your particular social locations. What are some things that we need to consider in encountering the Latino now of God. Buenas noches. Um, good evening. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank the Lumen Christi Institute, uh, Dr. Michelle Le Chavalier, Michael Le Chavalier, Dr. Peter Casarella, uh, for the invitation and for opening a space uh, for reflection and conversation on Hispanic Latino theology. And I would like to start with the words of Mercedes. Merced, she's a US-born college-age Latina who participated in a conducted research within a larger group. Her parents immigrated from Peru and she was the first generation attaining a college degree at a Catholic university where the Catholic intellectual tradition was nurtured for four years. So these are the words of Merced. When I think of Mary, the mother of God, I think of my mom. I just think of her holding Jesus in her arms because she is the mother. She is my mom. 
I think what my mom has done for me. I think of Mary more like Jesus, like she is working with my mom, within her. Because I know my mom is una de esas madres que hace todo por sus hijos. She is one of those mothers who does everything for her children. And when I say todo, everything, ella piensa primero en sus hijos que en ella misma. Muere por sus hijos. Moriría por sus hijos. She would think first of her children before her. She dies to herself for her children and she would die for her children. The narrative uh, of Merced's attitudes uh, towards Mary is just an example of the complexity of religious identity embedded in the social context and lived experiences among young Latinos and Latinas in the United States. Her story as well as the narratives and lived experiences of so many young Latinos and Latinas uh, reflect an identity that is most likely born within the context of la lucha y la esperanza, the struggle and the hope of resilient communities, familias in the United States. Serving as a Latina, Catholic practical theologian and lay minister in Catholic higher education, I have encountered a comunidad in majority first and second generation young Latinos and Latinas that in addition to overcoming the transition of youth and young adulthood in human development, they have to negotiate the dynamics of living in between, living in between two words, living in, la, in between la tierra, uh, used as a metaphor to describe this in between liminal space, the world that they have at home in la casa or in la comunidad, which is the construction of the cultural origin and the world that their parents or grandparents left behind in Latin America, and the world and the context of the dominant culture into which they were born or raised, grew up, and now where they attend to school. In most cases, where they need to assimilate and adjust in order to be successful. Thus, when we talk about Latino youth and evangelization, I think it is important to depart from listening to some of the particularities of their social location. So I'm gonna briefly depart um, from uh, observations, reflections of the landscape of first a shifting familia. In this case, I will present some of the socioeconomic reality of young Latinx, including educational trajectory. And then from there, I would talk uh, about the religious identity in light of affiliation and participation. So let's begin with a shift in family. Immigration patterns uh, during the last five decades remind us that before the year of 2000, there was an increase in immigration of uh, foreign-born Hispanics in the US over US-born Hispanics. However, the US-born Hispanic population reached its first peak between the 1990 and 2000 and continues rapidly increasing. Therefore, that's why we say US-born Hispanic children who were born within this major peak currently represent young Hispanics who are younger than 30. So even though it is a reality that more than half of all Hispanics are under 30 um, are US-born and most likely English speakers, it is yet evident that their, their social location 
is embedded in, um, in the, by the values and traditions of their countries of origin in Latin America. It is surprising that an exploration of preliminary results from 17 participating dioceses in the five national encuentro of Hispanic Latino ministry finds that more than half of the young people participating name the country of their uh, national origin or heritage. This leads me to another point, which even though the majority of Hispanics are US born, Hispanic families, comunidades, still struggle socioeconomically in this country. The majority of Hispanic children live in low-income families. Roughly one in three Hispanic children live in poverty, and one in eight children lives in deep poverty. This suggests that the majority of Hispanic children live in low-income households that survive with low-salary jobs. This reality places young Hispanics at a direct risk of living in segregated areas and attending underperforming education. This leads me to the educational journey of young Hispanics. About 95% K-12 Hispanic students do not attend private institutions or education. There is a still a small number of Hispanics who attend private schools, 2%, and therefore Catholic schools, only 3% in the United States. The biggest obstacle to accessing Catholic schools is perception about the cost. Sometimes Hispanic families whose primary language is Spanish do not have access to much information about the scholarship opportunities or application processes, in addition to the cultural assumption that only few can access to Catholic education. In reference to higher education, about almost 18 percent of young adult Hispanics in the United States are completing a four-year degree. In the research project that I led and conducted with college-age Latinas who self-identify as Catholics, the majority of the participants are the first generation in their family earning a college diploma, and the career profiles of their, of, of their parents are housekeeping, cleaning, construction, sales, business, and so on. I learned that the values of responsibility, sacrifice, and success are built in communal experience, not in isolation. The same struggles and hopes of the gospel are lived out and embodied in comunidad in this case. Success is the fruit of family prayer, hard labor, and the struggle to economically survive in the US. In this case, I would like to say that Catholic educational institutions in the US and those who teach minister and administer must rethink and reimagine a preferential option that creatively advance access and enrollment of young Hispanics. This leads me to talk about religious identity. How are we going to talk about faith if we don't look and attend to the social location of our people? So let's talk about religious affiliation and participation. Even though we say that national research finds that more than 60% of Catholics are young Hispanics, there is work to revise when speaking of affiliation and active participation of young Hispanics in the life of the church. There are complex dynamics when it comes to affiliation and participation. I am going to name three dynamics, okay? The first dynamic is a group of young Latinos 
that self-identify as Catholics, but less likely affiliate and actively participate in a local church or parish, and therefore any form of ministry. Working in Catholic uh, higher education and conducting research with college-age Latinas in South Florida, I have found that self-identification with Catholicism differ from affiliation and participation in La Vida de la Parroquia, in the local church or any ecclesial ministry. In this case, only one third of these young Latinas reported that are affiliated with a local church or ministry setting, but attend church at least once a year, most likely during Holy Week, Lent, Easter, or Christmas. From this group, only one third participated in the sacramental life of the church and the majority are neither affiliated nor participate in a local church or any form of pastoral activity. It is easy falling to the assumption that young Latinos and Latinas who self-identify as Catholics actively participate in ministry, parish life, and the sacramental life of the church and vice versa. Those who do not participate perhaps have lost belief in God. However, self-identification cannot be associated directly with affiliation and active participation in parish life or ministry settings. Young Latinos and Latinas who self-identify as Catholics but no longer affiliate and participate with a local church or parish are more likely to practice religious practices, devotions, and attitudes at home or at a personal level. From a large group of young Latinas, that self-identify as Catholic, but no longer participate or affiliate, they said that prayer is important in their everyday life. They also kept some of the daily practices and devotions taught mostly by the abuelas, the mothers, or members of the family. Their faith identity and daily practices as Catholics is a pilgrimage where the church was home or their comunidades growing up and the practices of their everyday life represent Catholicism. Language is not used as a mere translation and neither is the language of young US born Hispanics in the everyday life. It represents symbol and ritual as it is the language of the heart and the spiritual uh, language of the abuelas, the grandmothers, the tias, the madres, when they learn uh, from, um, that they learn from them about God. And some of the most common reasons for a decline in affiliation and participation in the local church are that their families drifted away uh, from participation when they were younger, and therefore they no longer affiliate or participate in a local church as young adults. Others express an affiliation with church teachings. And lastly, others express that they have lost interest due to the lack of attention and care of pastoral leadership to the spiritual needs, concerns, and critical questions of their age. Yet, this same group prays in the daily, many times in the language of their heart, Espanol, like candles to Mary and Los Santos, and remember the presence of God in times of need and sorrow. What makes this group less Catholic from those who fully participate and affiliate with a form of ministry or local church? How can we respond to those dynamics? The second dynamic is a group of young Hispanics who self-identify as Catholics and affiliate and participate with the local church or parish life, and therefore are part of a kind of ministry. 
In this case, there is an intentional need of accompaniamiento, accompaniment. This must be provided not only by the whole body of Christ or communities of faith, but particularly by trained professional youth and young adult ministers that have adequate intercultural competencies. This ministry requires investment in time and resources. Otherwise, young people will most likely drift away due to loss of interest or will feel attracted by other communities that provides that space where they can flourish, feel a sense of joy, validation, and belonging. On another note, acompañamiento is not the only task. It is important to remember that there must be an intentional commitment and openness of the church hierarchy and therefore the local parish senior leadership to engage and include young and young adult Latino Catholics in the wider leadership process of missionary discipleship. And the third dynamic is a group of young Latinas and Latinos who are drifting away from Catholicism, therefore no longer affiliate as Catholics. This is what we call the nones or nones. Nearly one quarter of Hispanics in the United States are former Catholics, even though the statistical trend might vary according to the unique yet diverse social location of Hispanic families in the US, there is a significant decline, at least within the past two decades. There are major significant events that explain why Catholics are drifting away and are no longer affiliating as Catholics. One event that has been evident for many years is that Hispanic Catholics are losing members to Protestantism, particularly Pentecostal and other charismatic communities and churches. Almost half of young adult Latinos and Latinas who were raised as Catholics have become Protestant as an, uh, and this is an important factor when finding a church that reaches out and helps its members more. Therefore, some of the reasons young Latinx are drifting away from the church is not merely because they have lost belief in God, but also because they constantly negotiate economic, racial, gender, language challenges, among others. Then how is the church responding to the realities of La Familia Hispana, which is La Comunidad Latina in the US? And moreover, how is the church engaging, acompañando, and affirming all the people of God as active agents in the sharing of the gospel. I'm gonna stop uh, right here to continue the conversation and give the voice, uh, pass the voice to Jose. Gracias, Claudia. No, this is really good, thank you. I know that one of the big uh, considerations for me and in, in my ministry is uh, working with young people and in a way that I consider them like literally my future doctors, my future nurses, my future um, accountants. So if I, if I trust them, if I'm going to trust my graduates with my accounts, with uh, as lawyers in a couple of years, why can't I trust them with some ministry responsibilities today? Why can't I, I, I engage with them um, as equals in the faith? Um, so with that sense of Discipleship of Equals that the Marianist uh, Charism provides in, in St. Mary's institution is the idea that we all have equal dignity, even though we have different responsibilities as part of the body of Christ. Um, Pope Francis invites us also and, and encourages us to think of the church more as the people of God 
And, and in that sense, it's kind of more open and embracing that I can actually welcome more people um, as opposed to, you know, just picking and choosing who can be part of the ministry or who can be part of, you know, the pastoral activities. And, and I think that's a, an encouraging aspect of my work. I am amazed by the students that I work with. Uh, St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas is a 70% uh, Latino university. And that means that that social location uh, specifically with, with the student body in the Southwest that, that we have uh, opens a lot of possibilities and a lot of opportunities. So not, not to look at the student body or the young people as a problem to solve, no. Engaging them as equals in ministry, engaging them as part of the full community. And that's the value that I see uh, in, in this conversation of young Latinos and evangelization. In campus ministry, uh, I can tell you that one of the things that, that really encouraged me is the young people I work with are encouraged by parents to attain their higher education degrees to lead a more comfortable life in the future. But the reality is more complex. I mean, uh, a majority of Hispanics are starting to engage in professional endeavors like education, healthcare, mental health, and other occupations that allow us to give back to the community. And I include myself because I, I studied education and counseling. So, and now I'm working in ministry. So this is a perfect example of, you know, most are not looking to get rich fast, but to make sure to take care of the least in their families and beyond. There's a constant reminder of the students to make sure that everyone has an opportunity in life for a wholesome life, an important market of Christian life. And I, I keep repeating life because it's about the daily life, la cotidianidad. It's where we can find a lot of our reflection material, so to speak. Um, and it's difficult when your employment is not aligned with your values and desires, when, when there's always a higher call to take care of family, to sacrifice for siblings, to, to help in, in the household, to work for changing injustice. And sometimes um, as a colleague, I have to reach out to my colleagues and faculty and in ministry and, and, and other departments and remind us, yes, some of our students actually have more family responsibilities. And, you know, that's one of the things that we have to, to embrace because uh, again, it shouldn't be viewed as a problem per se, but it's one of the realities uh, our students are facing. The commitment to student success on a practical level um, leads uh, campus ministry to support student services, to refer students to counseling, to refer students to uh, the TRIO programs, for example. But also it calls us to really commit to nurturing the interior life of our students. Like Claudia was mentioning the prayer, uh, that, that prayer life is important for resilience and perseverance. I mean, we want to graduate more Latino students. Only 4% of Latinos have twin graduate degrees or a little bit more compared with over 12% in the average population. And over 30%, 13% attain undergraduate degrees compared to over 30% on average. So yeah, all other students that are not Latinos are graduating at a higher rate and earn more degrees in comparison. That has an impact when we want to model uh, what Latinos and Latinas uh, teach in the classroom or serve in the different higher education institutions. I mean, uh, in undergrad, we do focus on all undergrad students, but as a Hispanic serving institution, uh, the university will submit proposals based on our demographics because it is part of the responsibility to make sure 
that we attain the funding that's needed. And that's always gonna be the constant uh, for many of the Hispanic survey institutions, how to guarantee uh, funding for research, for teaching, but also for ministry. And, and, and you know, when, when we talk about uh, campus ministry, one of the things that uh, our outstanding experience on campus is to really, whatever we do, we do it well for retention. We really have to accompany on a personal level, create a sense of family, a community of support, uh, care for the individuals is important. Uh, as soon as the students feel that they're massified or that they're anonymous, it's like, wait, wait a minute. Uh, we have to promote that family spirit. Um, and also consider, you know, the sense of personal mission moves a lot of the young people, of the young Latinos that study um, in my institution and that I work with. But I have observed that across the different conferences and opportunities. And that sense of personal mission uh, is enriched by fe y vida, that reflection on faith and life. Facilitate constant reflection that leads to awareness, self-confidence, and maybe that self-confidence will allow for some to self-advocate. It's very difficult for some of our students to just walk into an office and say, here I am, help me. So how can we um, encourage and accompany our first generation students, migrant students, uh, those who are learning English as another language? And I say another language because we assume second language. Some of our students speak more than two languages uh, from their country of origin, including Spanish. So it's like, how can we walk in such a way that we nurture their interior life to get them even more resilient? More than that, we want to teach a word and deed um, how to integrate beliefs into everyday life. And that's a sense of mystica that the young Latino population will remind campus ministers. Uh, even when we don't see a lot of our students going to church or making time for certain you know, um, Catholic commitments, uh, they will say expressions like Dios te bendiga, uh, uh, bendición. You know, there, there's a lot of Spanish expressions that remind them of family, of spirituality. And I have to validate that. I have to affirm that because there's a, the, the, there's a sense of God in the daily life, in certain events, and through people. That was one of the recent questions. Where have you seen God in, during this pandemic? Hands down, most of them were telling in the people. God works through the scholarship I received that I was not expecting. God works through mysterious ways. And yes, uh, fostering that culture of encounters, of asking, of reaching out before waiting for the students to come and ask for anything, because there's that natural embarrassment sometimes of, oh, and it's not, it's, it goes beyond pride. It's that sense of, I should be self-reliant, but uh, you know, it, it cost me a lot to ask for help. So, you know, let's facilitate that. So I, I will reach out and foster that culture of encounters. Uh, in particular, I have to pay attention to those who feel lonely because they're out of town. And then those who don't feel acknowledged. One of the things that uh, is, is amazing is when you welcome uh, students into the community and ask how things are going, it will be incredible. I get the four Fs, I call it, uh, financial stress, family stress, friendship stress, and future stress. So our students, they are, they are very mindful um, that the sacrifice the family is doing for them to study and that they are making also on their own. 
um, a lot of the students uh, in my social location, they do juggle with many jobs on campus and off campus. Uh, they have to also, you know, be attentive to what the family is asking for and, and some siblings. I would say that uh, fostering a culture of encounters uh, in plural, it's key. It's key in my ministry. It's key in my social location. The more excuses, so to speak, we give our students to bump into each other, to, to multiply random opportunities of encounters, uh, generates meaningful conversations. And sometimes, you know, social activities will also lead to uh, prayerful activities. So in that sense, Pope Francis is inviting us since his first year in the pontificate, hagan lío, you know, just, just go out there and, and, and you know, uh, make some noise, make some noise. And yeah, sometimes why would ministry be sponsoring a Latin night uh, social on campus? Well, because a lot of the students that come to that night of music and fellowship, uh, then we can invite them to liturgy. We can invite them to uh, faith sharing groups. And that works. I mean, it, because then they see that they can integrate faith and life. When we divorce faith and life, that's not good for our students. That's not good for us also. So it, it, I think that's really key. And that's what I've seen here. Uh, not just because it's a Catholic campus. Yes, uh, campus ministry is another office here in the in the university, and that has its advantages. It has also his, its burdens because we can easily take for granted that campus ministry is here present. So when you're a campus minister in a public or private university, yes, there's a, a different way that has to be worked out with the students, the administration, and all the colleagues uh, in different departments. But being intentional about who we are and what we're here for, it's key. Student-centered ministry works. Student-centered ministry works because we really consider the students as equals. We really want to bank on that culture of encounter and not just necessarily ministering to, but ministering with our students. So I'm gonna stop here and uh, I hope you guys are enjoying this conversation as much as we are. Jose, they, the, uh, our audience members indeed are. Uh, we've already received some really fantastic questions in the chat. And, um, and before we get to those, um, I think the direction that we're going to move will uh, maybe uh, answer some of those questions. Uh, and if they remain, or if you don't touch on some of the things that are in the chat, I'll pull those, draw those things forward. So I'm hoping that uh, Claudia and Jose, you could share one or two things that you have done in your ministries to nurture the faith lives of Latino young adults. Um, what are two concrete practices that you engage in uh, in your ministry that speak to um, Latino uh, faith life right now? Well, first of all, um, I would like to begin by saying and stating that Latinas and Latinos are the church of now and they're called to actively participate. And here I would like to contemplate briefly um, the words uh, or the category or the term, the dicho from Ada Maria Isacidias, allow me to speak, permitanme hablar, in order to reflect on young Latinas and Latinos' purpose for being in the world, which is related to the purposes of God. And this is so important to consider. This attending process 
has pointed my pastoral work within the pastoral and classroom setting to think about intentional participatory action or participation action communities. Three points of reflection here. Allow me to participate. This has been possible in the ministry setting by mentoring a core group of leaders in weekly basis and encouraging theological reflection in light of their own lives and critical issues within their own communities. In the classroom, for example, by encouraging students to write uh, the spiritual autobiography or their story of faith. When the students are empowered to claim their unique social location to name themselves, they will be able to make meaningful connections about their lives and their calling in the world. Finding call from who they are and where they come from move them, and I've seen that, uh, to find a space of belonging, agency, and validation. It empowers them to lead, reimagine, create new ways of leadership in which uh, they are leaders. The second, allow my family, mi familia, to participate. On this mentoring journey, we cannot forget their familias as inherent to their identity. Walking with my students and their families, I have found this, that success is the result of family effort, as Jose also mentioned. Loida Martel Otero talks about abuelita theology. This has inspired me to organize series with the abuelas of my students as guest speakers, as the scholars of the night and ask them to share their narratives, memories from their places of origin as they share their faith as Catholics abuelas. This creative strategy reminds us about the urgency of being intentional about the impact of oral stories and narratives within the pastoral and pedagogical settings with young Latinos and Latinas. It also affirms the need to create spaces that listen and affirm the people's stories narratives as part and critical to the wider community. And third one, allow my language to participate. Jose was talking about language. It is critical to explore language as an incarnational dynamic that embodies a deep spirituality, carrier of recuerdos, cultural memory, and the lived experiences of a larger community. Um, with this, uh, I'm going to uh, finish with that example. In the aftermath of Hurricane Irba and Maria, some Catholic institutions in South Florida welcome displaced students from Puerto Rico. In my institution at the time, I was asked to develop and teach a course on Catholicism in the Catholic intellectual tradition as a pastoral response to a group coping with loss yet searching for healing. As a final assignment, uh, I asked the students to research, uh, develop, and implement a project that incorporated key elements uh, from Catholic spirituality and their own Puerto Rican cultural traditions. I was profoundly touched with the students uh, when the students decided to retell the Nativity story while recreating certain aspects of everyday life in Puerto Rico. And as the scene unfolded, just to share with all of you, a group of students sung beautifully the lyrics of the well-known Puerto Rican song, En Mi Viejo San Juan, in my old San Juan. This was one of the most theological, insightful moments in my life as an educator and also as a theologian. 
uh, allow my language to participate is no longer translation. <laughs> Why? Because the majority of Latinos and Latinas speak English. Please allow my lucha to participate. Allow my familia to participate. Allow who I am and where I come from uh, to participate. In the words of one of my Latinas, my language is my roots. Thanks so much, Claudia. Jose. Yes, I mean, the, the, the prayer language is, is basic. It's, it's important to, to understand and to, to ask. You know, I, I would say that asking como te va, you know, it's, it's part of the dynamic and it's very similar to Let's Talk program. The Let's Talk program was developed in Cornell University and now campuses precisely for a lot of the Latino students who, who are not necessarily uh, sure about going into an office and asking for, for assistance. So, so I can actually do that outreach and connect them to, to different services on campus. I, I, I think of this as part of the whole Pastoral de Conjunto. That's it's not just for inside the church. It's also for connecting our students to the services that they're already paying for or getting in debt for. So why not take advantage of that? So that connecting uh, the dots, you know, como te va? How are you doing? And, and, and making sure that they connect with the different services, that's part of the whole synodality. And also with resources around the city. Sometimes we forget that we're part of parishes, deaneries, dioceses. Uh, there's Catholic organizations that we have to connect for. And, and that is also part of acting within the church. So that pastoral de conjunto, I see it as very, very important. Um, a concrete example of collaboration also in this Pastoral de Conjunto uh, was actually in most recent years uh, between another Marinus University, the University of Dayton, and, and also uh, the theology department, uh, where you know, both universities were collaborating on Mary and Borders, Teología de la Frontera, how to, how to make um, artwork, how to make music, poetry, focusing theologically on Mary in the border. And oh, it, was, it was awesome. And this is part of also that collaboration when we think about, you know, adding, including Mary in our ministry. You know, that's one of the secrets of the Marinus to, to really, if you want success in your ministry work, in, in interest Mary in it. And adding Mary of the Americas, you know, to celebrate every month a different Spanish mass here on campus. And then focusing, let's say, uh, with the different cultural families, even within the Hispanic world, because Peruvians are not Mexicans, are not Puerto Ricans, are not Bolivians, are not US born Latinos. And, and we all need to get at ease and feel at ease and feel good with each other. And then also with the other cultural families on campus. So I really place a lot of emphasis on that pastoral de conjunto and synodality um, as part of the culture of encounters. I think that approach of community to communities also helps when we create like the chapel choir as a community in mission. I mean, their mission is to sing and enhance the liturgy every week, but even those who don't think that well, they actually are part of a community that pray together. Uh, and that also extends to uh, ecumenical praise and worship, small Christian communities. I want to shout out the, uh, a big shout out to the Marinus community who host every week, well, pre-pandemic, uh, every week, uh, Casa Tuesday, that's a Casa Maria open house. 
That means that the religious on campus, they, they literally open the doors of their community every week for two hours of prayer, meal, and fellowship. And it's, you know, it, it's wonderful how to create that community of communities. And, you know, lastly, but um, not least is every summer, I also take advantage of the summer and, 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 and focus uh, with the program of Messengers of Faith and Hope. But also we'll, we'll mention other programs uh, a little bit later uh, that we can take advantage of because sometimes the summer gives you an opportunity to bring together colleagues from different campus ministries, different students, and think together, pray together, and share what our stories are. Storytelling is very, very important. And that's also very concrete, like uh, Claudia was mentioning with the Abuelita theology and, and the other experiences. Thank you both. Um, this uh, conversation already has been uh, so rich and there are so many directions that we could go. Um, I, wanna, I wanna start um, our time answering audience questions um, with an experience, uh, an experience of otherizing. Um, Mr. Ernie Rosado in the in the chat um, talked about uh, the ways in which, um, in a very highly educated, uh, diverse parish community, persons who sought refuge in 1885 are still referred to as the Guatemalans. Um, as if they're permanent foreigners, despite the fact that the sanctuary movement made progressive gains. Uh, and he goes on to uh, talk about the way in which that phenomenon of otherizing people, uh, especially uh, Latino folks within the church, um, is not challenged. It's not taken up as a pastoral task from the pulpit. Um, I'm wondering what you would say uh, to Mr. Rosado about the need to address the way in which the marginalization of Latino uh, peoples um, is not taken up as a, as a pastoral task uh, by uh, the church itself sometimes. I will venture um, first that when we talk about the other, um, like you were saying, sometimes we talk in terms of labels because it's easier to manage, but the problem with labeling, and we do this all the, all the time, the problem with labeling is that then we, we miss out on learning who the other is. Um, you know, some people love the personality types and all that, but then am I going to put you like in a personality type and, and, and miss out on, on on meeting who Claudia is or who John is. And I think that's part of the, you know, gap that we have. I would, I would definitely suggest, you know, Emmanuel Levinas or Bruno Forte as clear examples of how we engage with the other as the otherness actually helps discover who I am. It is with the other that I can uh, go deeper into who I am because then together we walk together. And that pastoral exchange, um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, and this is one of the principles of recent studies in missiology. So, so mission is not seen anymore as imposition, but as invitation, as proposition. 
um, as entering into the space of the other and walk with that person. Uh, so that's what I would say. I mean, and, and yes, uh, lacking all the details of the particular social location, but that will be my invitation. Yeah, I also wanted to um, um, kind of uh, talk about it. Uh, when I moved to the United States as an immigrant, I as an immigrant Latina, I never anticipated that the categories of race, gender, immigration status were going to be mentioned beyond the classroom setting, beyond pastoral conversations on those topics. You know, I never anticipated because I had to encounter those categories in lo cotidiano every day of my life. So I learned when I moved as an immigrant Latina, I learned to be the other. And then therefore I learned to be open to otherness, to what the other has to bring to my table. So I wanted to think about, and I was thinking about the concept of otherness, opening myself due to opportunity of encountering, encountering one another in conversation, in dialogue, yet, yet we still, the other, the people who look like me, like the other members of the church or a separate church who does not look like me or worship like me. When we are one whole body of Christ, uh, Jose, you were mentioning that we are equal members of the body of Christ. Sometimes it seems that there is a different body of Christ in which there are some dynamics that need to be applied or uh, differentiated when at the end of the story, we are all and our young Latinas and Latinas are equal members of the body of Christ, not mere receivers of sometimes pastoral strategies that sometimes do not necessarily associate with the context that they come from. So yet otherness is important, but that help us to understand that that otherness is critical part of the body of Christ, not a separate piece of it. I should note just by way of uh, some uh, dialogue here between the audience that Mr. Rosado then expressed his heartfelt thanks in Lakota uh, from the territory of the Motawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and uh, Sacagawean um, uh, nations. Uh, and that's really uh, incredible to see. So thank you for engaging in the, in the conversation here. Um, I want to, you both addressed language, uh, but Claudia, I really want to direct this question uh, to you and start there. You, you both may want to uh, address an answer to this question, but do you, do either of you have recommendations for improving evangelization uh, with Latinos, considering the lack of high quality bilingual bicultural resources uh, available to uh, people in the church? Well, first of all, I would like to say here and, uh, and then begin, uh, the, this is for, a, for to talk about this for quite um, kind of uh, a while, but just to be uh, kind of concrete, uh, 
And this is a very important question. Thank you for bringing this uh, into conversation because every time that I uh, somehow, I live in between, I live in, uh, in between uh, the world that in which I come from and, and the world in which uh, my young uh, daughter has to grow up as an American and as a Colombian uh, young girl, right? So, um, so when I think of my young girl, uh, who one day will be a young Latina, uh, it, she will no longer uh, be challenged by the language piece of it. So with this, I would like to begin by saying that translation of the material is not the only uh, kind of um, a challenge uh, here, or is not the only solution to kind of implement an, um, an intercultural, a inclusive language, a community in the parish, in the ministry, etc. I think, uh, as we see, uh, and statistics show it, the majority of uh, U.S.-born Hispanics speak English, and uh, translation is not. We thought that language is the language. Uh, uh, Spanish is the language of the heart, right? And and Jose was mentioning. Uh, 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 how some sayings or some dichos or even some prayers or some uh, names for devotions uh, 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 don't have a translation. So I think it is important when we talk about language, it is important to somehow uh, have into account uh, the cultural competence of those who minister, but also people who somehow have had the access and the opportunity to live in those contexts. So every time that, for example, I hear uh, um, my young Latinos and Latinas talking about la cachita when referring to la caridad, where do you find that word in, uh, in, in, in the dictionary of uh, the dogmas or Catholic tradition? There is no translation, that there is no translation in a dictionary. This is the language of the people that have adapted and that has a story. So I think it is important to work with the people and to listen with, to the people and to the religious popular practices that have come from the roots of the lived experiences in order to come up and understand and redefine uh, language. As I said, language is the language of la lucha, is the language of the everyday. So there is no translation. I'm not sure if Jose would like to uh, answer this as well. I mean, I, I, would, I would always recommend uh, at those institutions where Catholic campus ministers are active, but maybe don't speak Spanish or, don't, or, or feel inadequate with the bilingual, just invite bilingual Latino students to assist with the outreach evangelization, educating for justice, music, religious practices. I mean, this is in line with Christus Vivid that young people are able to guide other young people and to exercise a genuine apostolate among their friends, among their peers. I mean, students who identify Spanish as their first prayer language show great appreciation when religious services include that language. Um, Latino students whose first prayer language is English also express appreciation that religious services are offered in the main language and acknowledge other languages through song, readings, and prayers. So let's meet people where they are. Let's meet them in the middle, including the campus minister or including the resources. But contar con los jóvenes, 
let's let's bring them together in in, in this ministry um and like claudia was saying i mean my first year in this campus i spent it listening like literally i had to listen the insights gained in dialogue with our students faculty and staff really has guided a lot of the efforts made by university ministries to redesign faith-based programs leading to meaningful conversations uh impactful retreat experiences bilingual beautiful celebrations that inspire our students to keep growing in their faith and i mean last but not least we really have to do two simultaneous movements in faith formation to help the young latinos in in college and it's to develop a healthy identity as latinos and latinas and enrich their spiritual life to embrace being latino and embrace being catholic with a rich heritage so so like we can't cancel my Latin roots because I'm now in a different Catholic mode. Cuando somos pueblo de Dios, we're all people of God and different people of God walking maybe at different speeds, but walking together. So I will invite you to, uh, and anyone to, I mean, connect with us and we can share experiences of how rich it is to invite your same students. So that's the importance of ministering with rather than ministering to. So I'm not ministering to this, the students I cannot speak their language, but I'm ministering with the bilingual students who help me bridge those other students that I want to reach out to. I also want to add something here, uh, kind of thinking of, uh, on, on, on what you're saying, um, Jose, is that also language is ritual and symbol. You know, those spaces that happen even in the invisible, right? What is happening in La Casa at home at the same time that many liturgies are celebrated? Uh, those rituals of even the blessing of the grandma before they leave the house, the agua bendita or the holy water next to an altarcito. This is the, this is the month of Mary. I asked, uh, I asked recently a group of students, what are your perceptions towards Mary? Do you have any um, symbols at home that represent your attitudes towards Mary? All my Latino students and also students of color, they mentioned that at least they have a frame, a stampita, stamp, a medal of La Virgencita, uh, something that is not merely decorations, but they represent the language of the heart, the language of their families. And even some of them, they said, the rosary, why is the rosary important to you? And they said, Dr. Herrera, I don't understand much the rosary, but my grandmother, says is very important. And my abuela told me that the rosary is very important to her. So again, the symbols, what I said at the beginning, some of these symbols and some of these rituals represent the language of home. And who is home? The abuelas, those who taught the faith, right? So it's also important to also have into account those spaces where the sacred is happening, uh, Latinamente. 
for these uh, young Latinos and Latinas. And sometimes we think that they happen around La Parroquia, around the, the, the official. What is official? Are these rituals, are these symbols less Catholic because they are translated in another language, having into amount the language, into account the language is used as a metaphor to express lo divino, right? The language of the heart. So yeah, I just wanted to add that part of the music, the art, las canciones of the people, and, 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 and that help during times of grieving, many times of grieving, particularly during this time of COVID, bringing back those songs that perhaps came from uh, the abuelas, the abuelos. I have seen so many young people posting songs of, from Mercedes Sosa during social media during this critical time in Latin America at this moment, not because they were born there, because at least this generation, and a, 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 a statistic says it, have one family member who is, or in Latin America right now, or has migrated from Latin America. So again, what is language? How do we open to listen to the language, therefore la lucha, Therefore, la cotidianidad, the everyday, lo cotidiano of our people. So because you, you uh, concluded with that thought about music, I, I want to call forward Tiffany Tavasoli's question, which is, it's, it's uh, very astutely posed. In terms of the new evangelization, how can we evangelize those Hispanics now considered nuns more effectively through Latinx popular culture different forms of art attractive to Latinos today. Do you think that there's a need for more practicing Hispanic Catholics to explore and identify Catholic seeds in current Latin American, Latin music, art, literature, that's not always explicitly Catholic, but may reflect a certain extent Catholic spirituality? Um, you're smiling, Claudia, because you, you've already kind of gestured at this. In order to be able to engage the, those uh, Latinos that might not be currently engaged with the church. So I would, I would venture that um, reading is the medicine for many things. And I mean, I've experienced here a lot of students who get excited about their Latin roots, but they've never read Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And you know, when you have someone who starts reading uh, literature in general, or they get excited about a poetry night, or they, they're interested in, in, in music and art, then let's explore those Chicano artists. Let's explore those Latin American artists. Let's explore um, different writers because in, in culture, in general culture, you will see some of these seeds uh, of the word precisely. The other part that it's important is um, how to reach out and and really invite for, for general um, good-hearted entertainment. There's a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking uh, and bilingual praise and worship artists right now. And because of the pandemic, social media has taken off so, so fast that, I mean, I can't keep up with all the, the Christian and Catholic uh, artists out there right now putting their name out. Uh, our social media team had to uh, compose of students they had to switch from inviting people to events that we couldn't host to actually creating 
uh, Marianist content in social media, Catholic content in social media. And sometimes they were connecting with different movements, art movements, music movements in Latin America through that social media. So, so how to be created again, as the young person, as the young people to, to walk together with your idea, with your concerns. And sometimes we have to pose that same question. What are the artists that will help you uh, think about God? And maybe you'll get a surprise of movies. I mean, there's a movie lectionary from the 90s uh, in the early 2000s. Well, there's new movies that we can actually use. I mean, la, the movie Roma, you know, uh, a Oscar winner a couple of years ago. You know, we, we can reflect on lo cotidiano and, and the blessings of everyday life and, and the bendiciones, literally watching that movie. So we shouldn't, um, yeah, we can discard art and, and music as, as a vehicle. Uh, I mean, and this is what the missionaries did many centuries ago, los mitotes today. I mean, it's part of that whole um, drama dramatization of the gospel, dramatization uh, through art and, 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 and social events. Sometimes we dismiss uh, fiestas de pueblo or fiestas patronales, those, those patronal feasts. Oh, that, that's just big noise. No, that was the whole idea of getting a lot of people together to learn about the faith through, through a party, a big party. So there's a lot of ways that we can definitely uh, foster this integration. And also I want to add here the power of narrative and oral tradition that bridges both. If our tradition is full of narrative and stories, and that's something that I usually, when I teach uh, Catholicism, uh, to my students, I, I, I tend to teach them that the story of salvation is built by the narratives of the people of God throughout history, oral story. So if you look at the scripture, it's full of oral stories and narratives. And, and, and so if we look at the music, if we look at the art, is narrative, is oral story. So yes, Definitely. Actually, um, how can we say that the nuns, even if they no longer, are, and that's what I, at the beginning, made sure to differentiate that is, this is not about Catholic or not Catholic. Non-affiliation and affiliation is more complex than that. Why? Because I see that even my young Latinas and Latinas or my students that I have worked with uh, for the past 10 years, they self-identify as Catholics. They no longer affiliate with the institutional church, right? But they live out their faith through narrative and oral stories every day. They reenact the story of Mary in the gospel when they light up a candle during the month of May. Right, so, uh, so I think it is, it is important and it's a great strategy to use music, to use art, not as a parallel, but as a prophetic examples of evangelization uh, as ultimately they are carriers because that's the other thing we usually say as a parallel, then then we continue again, taking down. Yeah, allow me to speak. That's what Ada Maria Sassi says. But then this is not the end. A 
affirm my language and all that my language has to say to participate. So that's affirm my language. And what is affirming? Opening up those spaces within, right? From within. And, and that's what is, what is important. Otherwise, we're creating a parallel, a parallel church. Youth ministry, we talk about pop culture and faith. This is beyond the Latino audience. We've seen so many students connecting, showing, uh, Jose mentioned that the film, uh, the art, the music uh, in youth ministry. That I just wanted to add this. Great. So uh, we're gonna close uh, with a brief word. Um, and the brief word that uh, I would invite you both to close on is, what is that brief word of esperanza that you would wanna leave uh, our participants with this evening? That word of hope. And Jose, if you could share first. I would insist that um, there's, a, there's a reflection, a future not our own, that honestly the kingdom, the kingdom is already here, but it's, it's, it's beyond our efforts. It's not just depending on me or you, on, or it, it takes everyone, but there is, there's the, the seeds that we plant are gonna grow. And the hope is that even if I don't see the full fruits of all my efforts, I am planting, I am sowing because I, I keep working at, at this, you know, at this kingdom. It might be incomplete, but it is definitely an opportunity to add my contribution. So that will be my word of hope, esperanza. Um, and like the reflection, you know, that I was reading, uh, preparing for this panel, we're prophets of a future, not our own. We're workers, not master builders. We're ministers, not messiahs, but we have to keep connected with the Messiah. So let's keep completing the kingdom, but it's going to be beyond us. And that's, there, there's a beauty in that. There's goodness in that. Amen, Jose. Thank you so much. Claudia. Um, I would like, um, we're in the month of Mary, and we remember the powerful presence of that influencer of God. Pope Francis reflects on the example of, of the young Mary of Nazareth, uh, as an active missionary disciple in the history of salvation. And I would like to rethink and reimagine as closing her yes. Her yes, her fiat was not a passive, but an active response of a courageous heart when she was called and when she was empowered by the Holy Spirit as a faithful and affirmed disciple. Mary's fiat was not static, nor was she merely a receiver of God's call. She engaged in conversation with the Holy Spirit. She asked actually, how come? How can this be? Um, so then she was an influencer of God, how Pope Francis says, her yes, and her desire to serve were stronger than any doubts or difficulties. So I would say youth is not something, or young Latinos and Latinas is not something to be analyzed in the abstract and categorized. They are alive, 
It involve, in the, involves a process of discovering. It involves a process of discernment and action that is include asking critical questions about their lives, their deepest concerns, their spirituality, and their hopes for the future. I'd like to thank you both uh, for your time, uh, for bringing such grace and humanity uh, to the work that we share um, and to uh, proclaiming that we are the church um, and uh, that this work needs to continue um, to make us more fully the church that we've been called to be. So thank you, Claudia Herrera Montero and Jose Matos Alfon for your powerful witness this evening. We're so grateful to you.